You're listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. We're a team of five badass women who will be our sommeliers to the marketing world. We work and whiteboard together at our nine to five every day in B2B marketing. We're a small, scrappy team that's picked up a few secret hacks along the way, and we want to share our crazy ideas with you. Let's call it an anything but ordinary guide to marketing and design. From Chardonnay to Rosé, we've got your marketing tips and design tips. Now that's worth raising a glass to you. So grab your favorite vino and join us. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. I've got our team of lady boss hosts here today to discuss events and more specifically an event we attended together back in February called Create and Cultivate. Our goal was to attend the conference to learn from other women in business and marketing so that we could apply our own takeaways to the work that we do back at our jobs. So we want to share some of our lessons learned and some of our takeaways with you so that you can benefit from it too. So what is Create and Cultivate? Their goal actually is to, what they say, help women create and cultivate the career of their dreams. They also have a lot of online community content like blog posts, videos, templates. They host several in-person and now virtual events to go with the current times uh, throughout the year. So some history about Create and Cultivate and why we actually figured out what they were. I got the book Work Party by Jacqueline Johnson in hmm, July last year for my birthday. And I highly recommend it. It talks about the ins and outs of event management, marketing, uh, starting your own business, et cetera. So after I binged the book, I got really interested in listening to their Work Party podcast. And from there, I learned about the Korean Cultivate events. I actually wouldn't really shut up about it. And the whole team was kind of like, okay, okay, we get it. Let's look actually at what this is and see if we could attend. Why did we want to attend? Just because we are B2B marketing doesn't mean we have to be boring. We believe that we can pull inspiration from attending these types of events and put it into our own world of marketing. And we think that we have some really good takeaways that we could share with you. But first, maybe we should dive in a little bit about how we actually were able to get to the event. because this was something that we were able to work with our company on to work into our professional development um, program, if you will. Um, So we built a business case and said, can our team go to this conference? And since it's a little bit outside of our traditional realm of what types of conferences we go to, building this business case was super critical in order to get us there. We focused on really just a couple of things when we broke it out. The first thing was the cost. We outlined how much it was going to cost the business for us to go, um, including our registration and our travel, which is the hotel and the meals. Um, So don't forget to factor in food. You do have to eat. And if your business is willing to cover that, then definitely include it. Um, Most businesses have dollars set aside and allocated for professional development. So make sure you understand what your business's policy is. You might want to flip through your handbook take a look, see what that is. Um, The company we work for is one of those. So we were able to make the case and get that approved. We also focused on the purpose. Why did we want to attend? We wrote that out, outlined it for them. And we also outlined our learning objectives. What were the specific things that we were really hoping to get out of this conference and how did their sessions and agenda align to that? Um, And we also were very fortunate uh, to be able to get creative and combine it with other another business-related um, adventure, if you will. We have a sister company that's located in the same city that the conference was taking place in. So we were able to say, in addition to us going to the conference, while we're in the area, we'll stop by and we'll host a training and we'll connect with the team there um, to you know, have a dual purpose in, in the trip. Uh, so you can definitely get creative and think through things like that in order to get these types of things approved. We'll um, we'll share the template with you, actually, if you're interested in seeing it, you can just go ahead and email us at whiteboards at gmail.com. Yeah, and even if you don't think that your company's budget or you find out that your company's budget isn't big enough to fund a trip to a conference or you aren't able to pair it with another order of business, you might have enough budget to um, have your company fund some kind of professional development, like online tool, um, like masterclass or something similar where you can get 
similar career development as you would at a conference, but for a much lesser price. I know there's also um, the science of wellness and managing stress, things that aren't maybe necessarily work-related, but help you be a better, more happy employee. And there's other things like Udemy and um, different self-help books on like Audible that can help you get some of that professional development in at a fraction of the cost that it does cost to go to a conference. So um, I think circling back around to why we actually wanted to attend, we are frequently um, hosts of events. We don't get to be attendees very much. And even when we're as a team, like, out to dinner or like going out to lunch or grabbing happy hour drinks somewhere or something like that. We've noticed that we are always um, very aware of like experience elements that are around us. Like I vividly remember one time we were at a happy hour and we were all splitting, I think it was cheesecake. And there were these three little bowls and like one was with berries and one one was with chocolate and then one was empty. And I remember Sarah being like, do you guys wonder what was supposed to be in the third bowl? And I was like, oh, I didn't even really notice that that was empty. But now that you pointed it out, then I, now I'm thinking about it. Long story short, like we're just very aware of what's going on and constantly thinking of experience elements. So when you're an attendee and you're not focused on hosting and things like that, you're able to pull all the elements around you and notice them and think about how you can apply them to your work. So I think that was a huge reason of why we wanted to go be attendees at an event and just see how other people facilitate them. Another thing I would add in is the fact that Create and Cultivate has a focus on bringing women together and women-owned businesses and helping build up the the female community, if you will. And we are an all women team. So that was one major aspect that we were um, very optimistic about when we were attending because you're always looking for new female mentors or women that are kind of breaking the mold to see what you can learn from them. So enough about why we wanted to go. Let's dive right into it and actually talk about the conference itself and the experiences and setup and all the good stuff that went into this conference that we got to go to. So just some things that we thought along the way. So we got these notebooks to start. And we definitely filled up our notebooks with lots of just different thoughts that we had of how we would do it, what we enjoyed, things that we would maybe change, things like that. And so just something to start to think about is questions that you never thought you would even ever have to ask yourself um, when you're setting up for an event. Um, And some of those include, you know, just like logistics and simple things. And then some things are, you know, like does your hotel room have clear shower doors and are you sharing a room with people? If you have an event where there's like a high probability that some of your guests are gonna be sharing rooms, I mean, that is important to think about. Um, We're a really close team, so thankfully I don't think it bothered any of us so much. Um, But I don't know, it could be different, like depending on um, like what the dynamic is of people that are sharing rooms. But that leads into a good point of if you're hosting an event, it's probably a good idea that you have hotels available. There aren't always people that are local who are going to be attending. There's those out-of-towners who need to have that ability to stay somewhere. So it'd be nice to have a room block. Um, it also might be a good idea to have transportation to and from your event if it's offsite. So that's something for you to think about as far as logistics, if it makes sense, or at least I'll offer an alternative of how to get there, how to park, that kind of thing. Did they have a shuttle or transportation? I can't remember. I don't think they did, did they? No. No. No, and I think um, that's gonna add in. I remember it being the last session there weren't quite it wasn't the the event wasn't completely full anymore but I remember we were sitting there talking about like okay guys there's still like about 100 people here and all these people are going to be calling like Uber or Lyft or something like that all at the same time so I we were pretty strategic and I think we stepped out maybe like 10-15 minutes early during the last session and had to call an Uber early and so it would have maybe eliminated like a little bit of stress if they had um and maybe had people stay at the last session longer if there was some kind of um, shuttle to inform the hotel. I know one of the things, um, hotel blocks can be expensive though for the actual person putting on the event because um, sometimes they require down payments. I know the event we're doing in October, it was difficult for me to secure a room block. And so I think we had to be a little more creative 
and using or suggesting opportunities like Airbnb or potentially you don't have a room block, but you have a list of hotels that are very close and you outlawing distance because that would be ideal if attendees could even just walk. Granted, I know some like this was in a little bit different location and I don't think there were hotels within walking distance there. Yeah, so that's why it's just always you got to think about these things as you're starting to plan an event so that you can check all the boxes off. Another thing that is kind of funny because in LA, it probably hadn't rained in almost, what, they said six months. And I think they said it rains like three days a year. <laughs> yeah, so thinking of a event in LA, you wouldn't really have to accommodate for a rain factor or having covered shelter or anything. But they did, luckily, because during one of the mentor power hours, it downpoured and came out of nowhere. And so they were very smart to be able to have that backup plan ready to go. I feel like they even offered people umbrellas, which I thought was a nice touch. Like I saw that someone was standing outside when you walked out of the area and they were handing out umbrellas just to help keep people dry, which I think is always that nice experience factor, especially when you typically forget to pack an umbrella. Well, yeah, because you're going to L.A. Why would we need it if it's not going to rain? Yeah, sometimes you have to kind of find the alternative if you have the perfect venue. This was a very cool space. It was almost like a, a greenhouse type of environment. There's a lot of different sections to it. Um, very unique for us. We're usually going to D.C. for conferences. They're kind of in like corporate um, hotel spaces. So this was very fun. But you do have to find that that alternative for places that don't necessarily have bathrooms. So you have to have those luxury porta potties I would call them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they are pretty nice. I mean, if I had to do it, I feel like I would have picked those. Um, but yeah, I think the rain definitely made that experience a little bit um, less than what they had hoped for. But you know, it rains three days a year in LA, supposedly, and got to take your chances. <laughs> I feel like all in all, you almost have to weigh your pros and cons, because obviously if you have an inside facility, you don't have to worry about things like rain plans and umbrellas and porta potties, but also you're kind of sometimes missing that cool FOMO factor and um, just the ability to use a more creative space and allow attendees to really sprawl. Mm -hmm. I think it was nice to be able to walk from different area to different area and everything felt very unique and its own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would almost be a little upset if an LA destination event was indoors, I'd be like, I want my sunshine. Agreed. Yeah, we were kind of like cats at one point, being from Michigan and it being in February, we were like sprawling out like on the chairs that were in the sun and catching some rays while we could. So um, yeah, I definitely agree. That makes a good point, Katie, like because I was thinking about seating, how we were sprawling. Like at conferences, there's a lot of sitting that takes place. And I think it's really important to make sure that you have seating that's comfortable. Um, they did, and, and I see both sides of this particular situation that I'm about to talk about, but they did zip tie all the chairs together in the main conference areas so that people obviously don't pick up chairs, rearrange things, move things around. People can still get in and out and it's accessible. It totally makes sense. But at the same time, you were also zip tied extremely close to people where sometimes it wasn't even comfortable to sit and it made you not want to stay in a session um, because all sessions were absolutely packed to the gills. Like it was very, very full. Mm -hmm. uh, so seating is definitely something to think about. The chairs did look super nice though. And I did like that people <laughs> weren't able to go like mess them up or anything. Like as a perfectionist, I was like, that's a good idea. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree. I see both sides to it. Um, and I guess I would just uh, think about all the sessions that you have at the main stage. Um, there were quite a few ses sessions at the main stage and there were two tracks to um, the program. So that was when track one and track two came together. And thankfully, I wasn't super pregnant at the time, but there were times when I did not have anywhere to sit down and people were so nice and like always offering me seats. They're like, oh, Katie, I found somewhere over here for you. Um, but sometimes it is important to make sure that um, you have enough for, um, like if you're gonna be bringing both both groups together if um, to make sure there's enough seating for everyone. Another thought of the seating too is when you have 100 plus people gathering together, and they're all trying to look at these amazing headliners like 
um, Anthony from uh, Queer Eye, you're going to have to have the stage elevated so that people can see them. People are attending this event because of these, these people that they want to see interviewed and in person. So elevating the stage is important, having monitors or TVs so that people in the back or at weird angles can actually see it and be comfortable with um, that viewpoint. Something else, if you're looking to provide different areas, like Sarah was talking about, how if you want your attendees to be able to sprawl and kind of have different experiences in different areas, which is definitely an ideal setup. Like you don't want people going to the same place, doing the same thing for every session or um, element of your conference. Thinking about how do people know where to go for what, kind of providing a map to the different areas. What do the different areas mean? What, who can access what areas? Um, do you have a VIP area? Who can access that? How do they get in? How are you tracking that? Do you have someone waiting to allow people in or are people able to kind of free flow into the area and bypass your VIP aspect? Because those people did pay more. So there is a privilege. Are you able to make sure that those people who have that privilege are the ones that access it? Um, there's just a lot of things to think about when you have that sprawling area and different spaces for different purposes. And how do you make an impression right when they walk in and how do you kind of separate those areas? Because they had an area for VIP, they had a different area for sponsorships, um, the experience, experience elements, and then the two different stages. And they did a really nice good job about trying to balance where people would be going um, and trying to kind of help with the noise factor. I know that was a bit of a problem sometime throughout the day. But that just happens at events sometimes. You just have to kind of work with what you got. I will say, too, that wherever you walked, it did make an impression. Like, their design everywhere, it would catch your eye. You had, you know, Instagram spot, you know, Instagrammable spots where you could go in and take your picture. Like, they clearly thought that through of making an impression no matter where you're turning and what your eye is going to. So they did a really good job there. I was just going to say, Kelly, before you jump, before you added that, they made a really good impression when you first got in like as you were going through registration right like you basically had to go through it to get into the main area there was a a backdrop that you could take a photo with so it was almost like even though it wasn't required obviously it felt almost kind of like required because it was right there and you saw everybody ahead of you in line doing it so you by default were like oh I need to take a picture with this awesome, beautiful backdrop before I go in so I can post it on Instagram. What and else would I be doing? What I thought was really cool about that line was that there was no set photographer there. Everybody got the person behind them taking their picture for them. And it was just known like, OK, I'm next in line. Oh, I'm taking the picture for this group. And everybody worked together. Yeah. I will say that everyone that was there was so, so nice. And I feel like everyone was just there to, like, empower other women and, like, help each other. Like, there were a lot of, um, like, small business owners there. Um, it, it was very cool to be around, like, a bunch of women that value empowering women. And the fun thing, too, with these Instagrammable moments, I can't say Instagrammable, um, <laughs> is that it is almost like your marketing for the event. Everyone's going to post that on Instagram and other social platforms. And so you're going to see that cream cultivate um, logo or sign or tag, and you're going to be able to be like, oh, I want to go to that because I know that's how I felt. And that's how I ended up getting you guys to go to this event was because they had people like Martha Stewart last year and they posted it all over. And I was like, I need to be there. Mm. Yeah, the more opportunities you have turns into the more engagement that you're going to get on social and the more attendance you might get for your next event. And they host more than one a year. So it's not even like you have to wait until next year. They're, I think they host them around the country year, year long. I think that's a big takeaway before we jump into talking about what is the ideal structure of a conference and as you plan one, what does that look like? Like making that impression right away when people walk in, I think is a really powerful thing because that sets the tone for the entire day. Like, are they excited as soon as they get in and are they kind of wowed and in awe of whether it's your design decor or the experience or how everything kind of flows and just falls into place? Like, what is that thing that you can do to really make that moment for them right mm -hmm. as they walk through your door. Yeah, and I think part of that is registration. Um, if your registration process, like 
is really clunky and someone had like a not so stellar experience like you don't want that to be the tone for their morning so butter them up right and early maybe add mimosas that sounds good yeah yeah so i think there was a lot of things we took away from this conference in terms of thinking about the ideal structure of a conference and when you plan and when you have the time to really put a lot of thought and detail into it what is it that you want to be able to offer um, a few things that we noted were, number one, how can you find a way to weave in sessions that have smaller groups of people? Because when you're able to find those opportunities to bring together people in smaller groups, you can have better conversation. And it also gives those opportunities for networking and connection. And people also are able to usually in those situations ask specific questions and therefore get answers to their specific questions that they might have come to the conference to get answers to. So it also adds a different value to the attendees. Um, Hopefully I'm saying that in a way that makes sense. (laughs) I think, Charlotte, to your point, one of the easiest ways that it was for me to connect with others was when we shared a picnic table. Like they had picnic tables for eating lunch and snacks, and they also had snacks on the picnic tables. But then outside, they also had picnic tables where they had a cute little like wine camper set up. So obviously drinks help people congregate. And um, I just remember we met some people that way. We sat at a table and they asked if they could sit down with us and then just started asking questions. And it was kind of just because we were congregated around the same small area and it wasn't so intimidating so it made it easy to just start strike up a conversation it is kind of a point that like picnic tables have a way of people being able to come up and interact with you instead of like a round table where it's like you're closed off group and the picnic table just comes off more inviting when you have like the big round tables it almost feels like people are on sides like someone sits on one side and someone sits on the other side and you're way on opposite ends and you're like oh, hey, yeah, you can sit here, but I can't hear you, and I don't know what you're talking about, and this is weird and awkward, and picnic tables definitely get rid of that, which was nice. I think we also were one of the larger groups that came. We all came with five of us. Most people that I met were maybe one or two at the most, so it was more of these small business people who invested in their their attendance to this. So they were really interested in mingling and kind of sharing business cards and all of that, so we tried to kind of gather with them and engage throughout the day. Drinks definitely did help um, because there was wine and cocktails available throughout the day due to sponsorships, yay. Um, So that's always a nice um, add-on. Drinks always help, don't they? Um, (laughs) Well, drinks always help when your conference is super long, which this one was, because it was from 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. So we had to have something to look forward to to get us through this day, because not only was we were very much looking forward to getting stuff out of it, but you get to a point where you start to hit a roadblock because it's just a really long day. So there was something to look forward to. I did manage to make it through without any alcohol, (laughs) but um, I was very appreciative of all of the snacks that were at like the vendor booths. Um, I thought it was super nice that in the food area, there was um, like a basket on each picnic table with like different snacks. I don't know if they were sponsored, unfortunately, Um, but I did appreciate the snacks that were available throughout the day. Um, baby appreciated them as well. Uh, we also were treated with the LA snacks. So it was more of like the gluten-free, vegan, you know, like we're from Michigan. We're like a whole hearty, you know, <laughs> give us some gluten. So we were, it was a little more interesting meals, delicious. But yeah, we definitely were like, oh, what is this? I actually want to look this up when we get home. That's actually a really good point though. Um, I don't think we were planning to talk about food today, but um, everything at the event was vegan. And so that avoids um, you having to take like meal requests. And um, I'm sure that there were still some people that had like some allergy things, but it eliminates a lot of the issues with like, um, like gluten and people that don't eat meat and whatever your food situation is. It was all vegan. So then that way it was applicable to most people because I would say most audiences can eat vegan food where it might not be your favorite, you can eat it, whereas vegans cannot. But I wanted to go back real quick to something Kelly was saying about the long day. 
And I think one of the things that can really help break up a long day if you're planning a conference that is, say, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., is having that mix of panels and different types of speakers and having some hands-on workshops and really think about your engagement and how are you engaging people in different ways and how are you also giving them breaks, right? Like time to kind of kick back, have a minute to digest the stuff that they just learned, get all their notes in order and maybe have a drink or do whatever, even if it's in the middle of the day, like how do you kind of refresh people to jump back into learning um, and keep it different different and interesting throughout the day. Yeah, because with their, like their 8 a.m. to 8, 8 p.m., they filled it. Like there was not really time in there that was like, here's a bathroom break or here's just a regular break. Like they had a lot of stuff back to back. So I understand that they had to make it that long to fill the need for everything that they wanted to cover. It just makes it for a really long day to not actually have those scheduled breaks in there for people to have that time to feel like they're not missing out on a session or missing some valuable pieces of information there. Mm -hmm. Another good idea too that we haven't mentioned yet, or I guess I'm not sure if we did, uh, they had two tracks during that day. They had track one and track two. We were on track two, I believe, and they kind of had different topics and they had a few that they broke out into individual and then they had their their big one at the stage where all of us came together for the big keynotes. Um, But it was really interesting to be able to see how they separated their tracks and It might be something you might want to consider of should you have different tracks should you have different topics that people are interested in they could break out should you restrict people from attending each of them that type of thing i think it's important though to think about your attendee experience and maybe less is more like sometimes people can only absorb so much you can do a good job of breaking it up but people do need like that white space to kind of let what they just learned and absorbed sink in and for them to be able to process it and i think i know you obviously want to jam pack as much in as you can because people are making the effort to come there for that day but sometimes you just gotta you know allow a little more space and a little more downtime or make sure you're just building it in Paige, to your point about the different tracks something that's i think really applicable when you start thinking about i know maybe the more traditional types of conferences that b2b goes to because this is definitely more of a b2c environment i would say that we were in at create and cultivate but when you think about two different tracks you can always go with a more tactical track and a more strategic track so that way when you work with your attendees or figure out what they're looking for you can address those that are maybe higher level that are looking at strategy and how do they implement things and then also looking at those individuals that are kind of in the weeds and have to execute and make things happen and tailor some sessions to them so that is one way that i think you can take that and apply that to maybe the world that we operate in on a more regular basis. I think that also helps engagement too, because if someone's in a session that's not super relevant to them, they might kind of zone out and just be like, okay, I'm not really sure why I'm here. So the more tailored of an experience you can provide, I definitely think um, helps people stay engaged with the sessions. And not only did Create and Cultivate break out into two different tracks, they had three different types of registration. So we were able to go with general admission and there was also the insiders, which are memberships to create and cultivate and they had a VIP only section. There was different perks that each of them got. Um, The VIP lounge, the check-in was a little different for registration. They had a private workshops. Um, They had a really cool like glam squad beauty bar for the VIPs and insiders. Um, They also had front row seating and meet and greets. So when Jessica Simpson had her keynote afterwards. These people were able to go and have her sign the new book. It was really kind of a cool experience that you can have people pay extra for and have that extra level um, that people will be excited about. You know, which I kind of want to add on that. So they did not have um, like a public Wi-Fi for everybody at the event. But I was just thinking about if you were paying more anyways for VIP, I wonder if that's something that they did provide to the VIP guest. And maybe that's something that you could think for your guests for events because Wi-Fi is very expensive. As Sarah can tell you from planning a lot of our events that it's a very expensive cost to add on so everybody can have access to it. But that's also something that when you're at an event, that's the first thing people come up and ask you when they're in there is, 
what's the Wi-Fi? What's the password? So if you're going to offer it, just start thinking about the cost and if it's worth it or if it's maybe something that you have a VIP pack and like they get the Wi-Fi for the event or something like that. That's I do really think it's point. important to call out too that we weren't able to pick our track, like track one or two, because we were general admission. But if you did upgrade to that VIP, that's how you were able to pick which track you were going with. So I don't know. It's always something you can consider for your different levels of tickets or either sponsorships too. And one of the things like we were mentioning earlier, um, maybe we had a little bit of a challenge with it because we were general admission, but the insiders, you know, that, that second tier that they had, they had front row seating for, and I'm assuming the VIP had it as well, but um, the higher tiers had front row seating and they had some big names as, as uh, headliners. So for people who really wanted to be up front and center and be engaged, um, that was definitely a perk and a benefit that they were willing to pay for. So start thinking about at your events, what are what do people value and what are they willing to pay more for? And how can you work that into your registration um, in a way that benefits you? Because for most individuals and most organizations, events are revenue drivers. So the more you can figure out how to tier that and get people into those higher tiers where you can charge a little bit more, um, it, it might be worth it. So one of the things that we were really excited to see and learn about was the fact that this, um, that Create and Cultivate had a mentor power hour. Um, we're looking at implementing something like this into our own conference. So we really were excited to see how they did that, how it came together and what that execution looked like. Um, they definitely did share with us in a pre-event box um, who our mentor was going to be. So that was kind of a cool experience to be able to get that ahead of time. Okay, so speaking of the event box, um, we got that maybe a month before attending and we were super excited. It was a really cute box. We were able to find out who our mentor was in this box and they also included our track details, the lanyard, a few pins. Um, so that's something you might want to consider is, does it make sense at your event to send a pre-event box? Do you have the time to be able to send it? Um, what would you actually want to be putting in the box? Does it make an impression? Is it exciting? Are people wanting to take photos and put it on social media, that kind of thing? I think if you're going to do something like that, like I definitely think it's worthwhile to explore like, cause you don't want to just make an impression the day of the conference. It's kind of thinking about the whole experience leading up to the conference. And then also after the conference, how are you going to make sure that there's kind of a tail to it and that people continue to engage or get value. But if you're doing it leading up to the conference, I think the biggest thing there is to make sure that's exciting and that it like to page what you said, like it's leaving a really good impression um, because that could be something that, it could potentially be a letdown before the event. Um, and don't put things in there that people have to remember to bring. Because if people are traveling and they're expected to remember to bring certain things, like for example, our registration badge was in there. Um, if you forgot your registration badge, your registration experience was not very pleasant because you had to go to a separate line and go through it and meet with different people. And so for things that are required for the conference, I would definitely um, advise having those things on site and not shipped in some sort of pre-event um, experience, if you will. Yeah, because I will say that I had anxiety from the time that I received it, knowing if I should keep that box like in my bag that I bring to work, if I should leave it at home, because then I just thought about crazy things like, okay, what if my house burns down? What if I get an accident like in my car? <laughs> So I tend to have anxiety about things that could have easily been prevented had they just given me my badge at the conference. One thing I did really like about getting it beforehand, though, was being able to see who the speakers were and who our mentors were. So I was able to kind of like go down a little rabbit hole and search for them on LinkedIn and whatnot. So I was able to find out what their expertise was, why they were able to speak at the event, and what I could have learned. Um, I was going to say about the box, like something you have to realize if you're going to do that is that, so you'll probably send it out maybe like a month before your event, and things might change. Like I was going to point out that one of our mentors did change, but it's not the end of the world. Um, it, it was very simple, and I just think that 
things probably will change and that's okay. People understand. So we didn't get to work with one of the mentors that we were assigned to work with, but um, we had a really good stand-in one and that was perfectly fine. What do you guys like the most about the mentor hour? I know I was really excited to hear from certain people that were tailored to events and business strategy. So I wanted to hear what you guys' thoughts were. I think one of the most important things regarding the mentor program, because I do like the way they set it up, where they had small groups of people assigned to a single mentor. The challenging part with that was the environment. I think it could have been really powerful if they had it in a different environment. Unfortunately, all the groups were so close where it was very challenging to hear your mentor speak. So if you could take that and spread it out a little bit so that individuals can hear. I've also seen some conferences do um, headsets where there's like channels and people in a specific group have a certain channel or frequency so they only hear their speaker. Something like that might be beneficial in that environment because um, the concept I think is really good and it was a really exciting concept. I think sometimes you just have to think about what's your environment. I feel like it could go into that. Like if we do some sort of checklist beforehand or like what are the things that you're most excited about which they did ask us that and when we were signing up and maybe they take those check marks and that's where we get tied to our mentor but I feel like that's a lot of work that goes into it before and after to kind of figure that out. I almost feel like you need a program I mean you don't but we tried to match people up on our end for conferences and it it sounds really cool in theory, like typically we'll ask questions when someone goes to register and then the idea is to help pair people so they're in like groups or they have something in common, right, whatever it might be. But in theory, you know, people cancel their registrations, more people get added, sometimes there's too many people in one bucket so they have to move to the other. So I don't know if we've ever done this successfully, so I'd love to hear if someone else has. Um, and I know for one of our upcoming conferences, if it is virtual, we're now having a new consideration of how do you match people and allow people to chat and network and on a, in a virtual environment. So, which I think poses a whole new set of problems. One thing I'll add to that, Sarah, is I think when you, it's not only about prepping or having the attendees set up appropriately, but it's also making sure that your mentors are properly equipped and know what to expect and also know what the expectations are. Um, because I think you want to make sure that you don't get into a group and all of a sudden your mentor is like, okay, well, what do you guys want to learn, right? Like I think helping them maybe have some thought starter questions or things to dive into or how to approach the group because some people might be really good mentors or have a lot of experience, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily a great facilitator. So okay. maybe help set them up for success um, would be a really good thing to think about if you're trying to do some sort of mentor program to connect attendees. I think it's also important that they're able to think on their feet and be adaptable, because I do remember one of our first mentor, after we talked to her for just a few minutes about where we came from and what we do, she was like, well, I don't know what you're gonna get out of this session. And that really hit me hard and I was like, oh, and I think we were really excited for her because she had mm -hmm. an event company and we thought even if it's not the same kind of events because hers seemed very more like B2C and ours are more B2B, I still thought there were elements we could take from it. And it just, when she said that in the beginning before she even started, it just kind of shut me down for a minute and I was like, all right, well, then I don't know either, <laughs> you know? So I just, I think people have to be careful about their words and what they say, especially if you are a mentor in that scenario. I think that that's also like good to know for the speakers and whoever's having their events because there was a rapid fire with Jessica Simpson who didn't quite, I don't know if she just is not such a on her feet thinker or if she really was struggling with the questions. Um, so you might want to actually present them to the, you know, your your speaker beforehand, just so that they have time to think about them um, and get ready, to, you know, to say what they want to say and not come off how she maybe came off during that rapid fire. Yeah, I feel like she like maybe didn't see him ahead of time or something. <laughs> I felt so bad. I think she felt bad too. Um, but yeah, definitely a heads up would be very nice. Well, and it's not only about setting the speaker up for success. It's making sure that your attendees get value out of it, right? Because if, if yeah. your speaker is up there like, ah, crap, like I don't have an answer to that. It's not, 
I mean, it's not valuable for the attendees and it makes your speaker not feel great or successful. Um, and you have to imagine that. I know if I was speaking, I would walk off the stage feeling like, well, shit, kind of flopped that. Like that didn't feel good. Um, so I think just all around making sure your speakers are prepared is probably a really good, really good thing to think about. Luckily at Crane Cultivate, they had facilitators or moderators at every panel and session. So mm-hmm. those people were, in my opinion, responsible for introducing the speakers and panelists, saying who they were, where they're from, why I honestly should be listening to them and what their expertise was. So that's something definitely to make sure that that's part of their roles and responsibilities. I do think it's important to have your moderators and your facilitators properly prepped too. I don't know if people understand that like that is a real skill to be a facilitator and really help bring the conversation back around and make sure that all of the key points that you were trying to address and what you wanted attendees to get out of it get touched upon and that you don't allow people to ramble and go off into the far depths of space. Um, So I just think when you're thinking about your moderators and your facilitators, you need to pick really strong ones or you need to have some kind of prep ahead of time to make sure that they are up for the role and the task. I remember one panel in particular, and I won't mention which one it was, but it was painful. I was so embarrassed by how, not embarrassed, but just like cringing almost because it was a little off tangent. It was kind of more, I didn't know where it was going. I just was really wanting the facilitator to reel it back in and kind of bring her back to the topic at hand. Um, so that's something that is a big lesson learned. I also wonder too if it matters about how many panelists are on the panel because we did have some really good uh, moderators and then we had some that weren't so great. And I can't remember if it was ones that had a shorter panel or if it was ones that had seven or eight people on their panel. And I think that really makes a difference because you're trying to fit all of these people's perspective in in a very short period of time. And it's really hard to have some person, you know, get off on a tangent and then we don't even get to hear from like two or three other the panelists. Well, and even if you're like on track and have a good moderator, if you have a large panel and not a large time slot, you're not doing each panelist justice. So you're allowing them to maybe introduce themselves, dive into a couple things, and then you move on to the next one. And the attendees don't really get to dive into maybe some of the key takeaways and the real like guts of what they want to learn about. Um, so definitely time and number of panelists comes into play for sure if you're evaluating doing panels. Yeah, like you spent all this time working to get your speakers and building this panel and putting so much strategy into all of your sessions. You want to make sure that you allow that those people you've invited there to speak to your audiences provide that value that they're there to provide. I feel like a lot of times, like I think maybe the panels were only like, 30, 45 minutes. And maybe by the time we got done with the introductions, by the time people had settled into their seats, like you maybe only heard from each panelist two, maybe three times. Um, So I definitely think um, that was a good takeaway that we had for doing our panels in the future. Especially think about if that panelist traveled a long way to get to your conference, do you only want them on stage for a few minutes? I mean, or a few minutes of talk time? I mean, you got to be fair to that panelist and the amount of time that they took out of their schedule and their busy lives to make this happen. Rule of thumb is four people on a panel is probably the best the best number. I would agree with that. I think any more than that, you start to get it starts to get really complicated and kind of diluted. But Sarah, you mentioned travel and it reminded me of um, our swag and how much that played a factor in travel. So I want to be very clear to everybody listening. Um, They had amazing swag, like amazing swag, not only at the booths, all the vendors, but then at the, like you already had a bag full of stuff at the end of the day. And then as you were walking out the door, they literally handed you another bag full, full of swag. It probably weighed 15 pounds. Like I'm not joking. And I did get stopped at TSA. Like I did get stopped. So thinking about your attendees and if they're traveling, just like you want to take your panelists into consideration, thinking about the swag and what you're sending home with people is probably um, a a courtesy. It's actually funny. It's weird to say this, but like, yeah, we got full-size products. Who doesn't want full-size products at an event like this for swag? 
And they were worth like a lot of money. Like I looked up how much some of those products cost and like I'm pretty sure one of the face wash things was like $80, like for the full size one. Oh yeah. I do want to give a shout out to Bliss. Bliss, I'm now a repeat, <laughs> I'm now a repeat customer due to your booth at Create and Cultivate. I love your eye cream and I've recommended it to at least four or five people already. So, so it works. It just stopped me at TSA. And being that we're in Michigan, we probably aren't as exposed to these brands that are maybe LA based that were sponsoring the event. So it was really fun to kind of um, jump into that type of atmosphere and buy some of these at- afterwards. I was just going to say some things worked better than others. So just kind of keep that in mind with your audience as to what you're giving away. Hopefully never any stress balls. I think it's um, just matching your swag with your audience. Does it make sense? Are these people going to want to throw it away after the conference? Are they going to be so excited that they wear it every day on vacation like Katie? Um, That's just something to take into consideration when you choose your swag. I think it's important to note that not all of your swag is going to hit every single person, though, because our group is divided on these LaCroix jean hats, which... (laughs) Two of them think is the best thing ever and wear it every day. But a few of us have maybe donated such things or left them in the hotel room. Seeing people walk around the entire day, they collect swag, and then sometimes it ends up in the garbage. And that's just, it is very sad and it's wasteful, but that just didn't really apply to them. And so that's something we try to take into consideration when we choose swag. So we are not a stress ball marketing team. We will never be. We try to be a little more tactful um, and make it relate to our theme, make it kind of interesting and fun for attendees to want. I think that it's important to think about where you invest, where you invest in your swag. So there's some things that might drive a lot of traffic to your booth while at the event. Um, like something else that LaCroix did, they had these really cool um, loopy straws and they actually had the LaCroix drinks at their um at their booth and you could take photos and I think they had like a boomerang video thing or something like that. Um, But after you used your straw, like, although I wanted to keep it, like it was kind of sticky. It was getting all over everything else in my bag. So however much like you spent on that, know that that might not be something that comes home. But if it drew traffic to your booth at the event, then maybe that's all you intended it to do. And we've done stuff like that before. Um, Like at an event, we did smoothies and we had um, like themed cups, like these flamingo cups. And I think I may have mentioned them on our last podcast, but um, I didn't think about, they probably drew a lot of traffic to our booth, but we don't really know what happened with them like while people were like done with their smoothie. Um, So just thinking about where you want to invest can be important. I think it's also cool to have an engagement element, like an experience like Katie was talking about, how she mentioned the smoothies. Um, For example, Nivea had these, I mean, they were giving, they were doing hand massages at one of their booths, which I thought was really cool because I don't know. I mean, I guess more your feet get tired at a, a conference, but your hands can use a little more relaxation too. And so it was promoting one of their products. And then at one of the events or one of the sessions that was sponsored by them, they had a bag that you could write um, soft as strong or fill in your own blank um, word to kind of go along with the theme of the session. And so I think just anything where you can be a little more interactive might be worth putting more dollars into that because it's that experience that people are going to remember later and not necessarily the swag that they took home with them. One of the things that stood out to me was the portfolios that I believe it was Create and Cultivate themselves actually had at their booth where they were doing research on what designs performed the best or were most well-liked amongst the attendees. So they actually had you go up, look at a series of portfolio designs, vote for one, and then you got to take one home. And these portfolios are amazing. It's actually sitting on my bookshelf right next to me. So um, definitely something that I took and like used, but also it was a really cool engaging experience. And I believe they sell their portfolios in Target. So we'll probably see those designs that we voted on actually in in the store, which is really cool. Yeah, it was a really smart idea. And being the designer of the group, I was like, oh my God, why have I never done this before? I I know we always talk about data. And so the fact that they were gathering data about design and making that an impactful decision of how they were going to release products probably saved them a ton of money because they don't have to put these 
items that aren't selling on sale or discount or whatever, they're able to pick the top one or two, let's say, and release those to Target and have the people being like, oh yeah, this is exactly what I wanted. We listened, we heard you, and we created products for you. One of the swag partnerships that I personally enjoyed a lot was the pairing of the hair masks with our ice cream social hour, which was pretty amazing because not only did they already have a whole booth where you could pick as many hair masks as you wanted to take home with you, so all the different scents that they had, then at our ice cream social hour, they paired those scents with a flavor of ice cream so that you can kind of get what that would be. And then they still had more masks available at the ice cream social bar. So you can take even more of them back home with you. I probably have enough of those masks to last me through the year and I have definitely taken advantage of them. So I am a huge fan of Not Your Mother's and it was super cute that they were able to pair the flavors. Like I probably went back for seconds or thirds on those. (laughs) I think that goes back to the point that like they made their whole sponsorship there and the engagement aspect very engaging and very Instagrammable so that it could be easily shared and easily put out there because I agree with you Paige, I was all about it. And I literally have enough like hair masks to last me like a year. Um, I definitely loaded up my bag, um, but it was a really cool way to blend not only design, but also like senses and the way people taste, touch, see. Like, it was very, very cool. Um, a really cool way that they did this was there was a a booth with it, that they had throughout in the little picnic area. And they were able to customize that throughout the day. So they were able to customize it for the vendor, the sponsor. Um, Not Your Mother's was able to have it in the morning. And then later in the afternoon when they had the Beyond Burgers, they were able to change it out again. So it was really easy. One of the things I'll add to that is in it, like the booths all had a similar theme. It wasn't like a mishmash of booths of vendors that came together and used all their own um, backdrops and um, podiums and things of that nature. You could tell that they collaborated very, very closely with Create and Cultivate to create a theme and a common feel and sense of design so that it all was very cohesive as you walked through, which definitely um, emphasized the experience and like the, the way you saw everything. It was all so put together and so aligned, which was very cool. And I have to imagine they did something unique with the way they worked with their vendors. I I thought that the vendors told us that Create and Cultivate actually put together the designs for each one, which would make sense because if they're putting it on, they would have the cohesive look for every single vendor, but then it just adds on to their plate that they're the ones that are setting up each booth that's coming into their conference. So I think we're going to do a whole other episode on sponsorships. But this is um, a good point to think about when um, you're booking sponsors for your events. And most likely, if you have a sponsor, they're probably going to be a vendor if it's the type of event that has a booth. Um, how you can tie in the um, the sponsor or the vendor's product with a sponsorship opportunity, like going back to not your mother's and then like the hair scents tying into a flavor of the ice cream. Like, I feel like that just made the whole experience. So being creative and being willing to collaborate on those sponsorship opportunities, I think can really um, play out and provide a nice experience for your attendees in the long run. And I think it's really important. Um, I wanna make sure we drive this point home that in the B2C world, a lot of times like you're, you might be thinking, oh, products with scents and things that are more consumer based, that it's a little bit easier to do these types of things. In B2B, if you're a tech company, start thinking about the different elements of technology and how can that tie into sponsorships or how can that tie into different booths or the setups that you have. Just because this specific example is a B2C, I think there's a lot of ways to take that and translate it for the way that we do business over in the B2B world. Also, I don't think something we've mentioned yet, but Crane Cultivate wore matching outfits that I know all of us were really wanting to have ourselves, especially now with working from home full time. Point out what they were with their matching outfits, because that's actually the most important part. Yeah, they were they were these baby pink tracksuits um, and they were matching head to toe. and. 
honestly, they look super comfortable because we've all put on events. We know how uncomfortable it can be being on our hands and knees, trying to unpack boxes, move things around, wearing heels. Like it's just not what we're about. So trying to be comfortable and having their attendees who are there, they were able to figure out who's actually at the event helping. I know exactly who that person is. I can go to that person in the pink tracksuit and have my question answered. So that was a big plus. I don't know if we mentioned this, we might've already, but they gave us the swag bag at the end of the day. So we didn't have to carry it around all day because it was a packed bag and it would have been a lot more with like the bags we brought and the things we gathered throughout the day, plus that swag bag. And in order to get your bag, you had to exchange your lanyard for it which I thought was really cool way for them to repurpose and reuse lanyards that they had already paid for. Yeah. And I know at our events, we tend to usually give them our swag bags beforehand. And so that might be something we can reconsider going forward because we do have that concern of, oh, what if they lose it? We kind of move people around throughout the day. What if they kind of like put something personal into it and then someone else takes that bag. So it's it was a good um, smart move on their point. So I think that's just one of the many takeaways that we had and things that we learned throughout, as you just heard. So diving into maybe some of our key takeaways of things that if you get anything out of listening to us have a conversation today, here are the things that we maybe want you to consider. Um, the first thing is making it making things bite sized and super actionable. So if you're hosting an event, um, it doesn't just have to be a conference because you may not be at the point where you are hosting conferences, but whether you're attending a conference, hosting webinars, make sure you're providing very small, actionable things that people can walk away with to go implement tomorrow. Because often it's very overwhelming to think about so many of these big aspirational things. People need a place to start. They need to know, what do I have to do to kick this off the ground and actually start having an impact tomorrow? Because at the end of the day, people have to do tasks and people have to make things happen. And it takes time to get to that big picture. And then maybe for swag, consider, is it useful? Is it fun? Does it fit my audience? And is it helping me accomplish a goal? Like, is it helping me um, tell these attendees why I'm here and why they should either talk to me or trust me in my product or service that I'm providing. And then maybe does it travel well too? And for design, make it intentional. How does your environment make people feel when they walk into a door? Isn't it, is it an impression that you want people to have and be excited for? Does it give them directions of how to get to places, that type of thing? And it's important not to disregard your post-event strategy. I know it's hard because a lot of times leading up to the event, you're so focused on the event itself that sometimes you forget what happens after the event. But occasionally, typically the follow-up is the most important part and making sure attendees get the resources they need and thinking about how are you going to use your event content post-event? Are you going to create blogs, articles, vlogs, videos, or are you going to I mean, are you going to use those photos and things to promote your events next year or upcoming ones? And I know that we kind of talked a lot in here about things that maybe we didn't appreciate or that we didn't like about this conference, but we did also follow up with creating Cultivate afterwards, just telling them, you know, we put on our own events and we're always looking for feedback and critique. So we wanted to share it with them. So just be open to that idea of getting feedback and offering feedback at different events so that everybody can make their own events better for the future. And obviously, in addition to that, there was lots of things that we did like and things that we were able to take away from this as learning lessons. Um, But Create and Cultivate actually took our feedback and gave us a insider um, subscription for, I believe it was for a year for free, which was a really great way for them to create a moment for us because now we get to access their content on a broader scale and on a real time basis because they do have an entire membership portal in which we can access that. So kudos to them because I think that was a really awesome move because they easily could have been offended by the content or or by the feedback. Um, but instead they embraced it and they owned up to some of it and they they gave us um, that subscription, which was super cool. I think it's also important when you're providing feedback, like just make sure it's constructive. If obviously I doubt there's any event where nothing has gone wrong or someone didn't have a poor experience, but just make sure when you do critique something that you provide maybe some solutions as well or some ways they could have done it differently. Because I think that just helps people 
make it better next time. Yeah, I don't think any of our feedback was like, we could have done without the rain. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. I'm pretty sure Paige put together a very well thought out aspect. And please don't take this as a, they did nothing right, because they did a lot of things right. And they hosted a really awesome, awesome event. And events are not easy for anyone who has hosted them or been part of them. There's so many moving pieces. Um, So overall, we got a lot out of this event. And we hope that you're getting, uh, we hope you're getting a lot of things out of just by listening to this. Yeah, our lessons learned um, is what we wanted to share. We wanted to share how you can apply what we've done at conferences and events and what we learned at this one and how you can put it on yourself. Translate it to your own event and make it unique and make it your own and kind of have fun with it. Don't don't forget to make unicorns and tropical smoothies part of your event themes because you can do that even if you're in the B2B market. Agreed, Paige. Well, that's probably a good way for us to wrap up and end this. And hopefully you guys got a few takeaways that you can go start implementing tomorrow or at least starting to think about. And with that, we hope that you come and listen to us again. Please don't forget to subscribe and cheers. Thanks for listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. For show notes, links, templates, and other resources, visit our Instagram page at Wine and Whiteboards podcast. And while you're there, Follow us to get more hacks and occasional wine-themed humor. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would take a minute to leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you can continue listening to our marketing tips and design tips.